Uh, if you're new, just thrilled that you're here. Just want you guys to know what we do is uh, we worship Jesus. You just heard uh, Pastor McKinney share kind of how we do that. We do that through singing. That's why we uh, just sang. We're going to sing a lot on the back end as well, just thanking him for who he is, what he's done. We also worship Jesus by uh, sitting under the, the preached word. We believe this is the only perfect thing that God has given us outside of himself, and uh, it perfects us more as we, as we read it. So uh, we also love to worship Jesus by observing the supper and giving generously because God's been generous to us. So if you're new, visiting, not a regular attender, we don't need your money, don't want your money, really. We want you to have Jesus. So uh, know that he is the richest treasure that you could have and own. So uh, let's go to James. We're in James. If you're dropping and we're going through the book of James, James is not a lightweight book. James is a guy who just gets after it, just tells you like it is, and God has a strong word for us this morning. I mean, you're probably like, I've been hit with a two by four the last three weeks. I know it's been, uh, he's had a strong word every week, but James is just that type of letter where James, again, I'm going to keep reminding you, he's after your joy, okay? He's not trying to rob you from anything. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's actually trying to lead you to somewhere that you can't see for yourself and that God alone sees for you and wants you to walk in as his beloved son and daughter. And so uh, James was Jesus' younger brother. James is a guy who traveled and saw and sat under the own teachings of his brother Jesus, and uh, he was really skeptical. He thought he was out of his mind, and then ultimately we even see uh, he goes and is... is revealed by Jesus uh, after the resurrection. That transforms James to where he goes and actually gets thrown off a temple mount, has his skull bashed in because he won't recant of the things that he believed that his brother was actually God. Uh, so if you're going, oh man, this seems kind of fixed. It ain't fixed when you get thrown off a temple mount and won't recant and get your skull bashed in uh, because you still believe and are convinced that your brother is God and shouldn't be in a psych ward. Uh, so this is a letter that we should listen to, we should heed to, we should uh, submit ourselves to. And let me just say, I am overjoyed at the fruit um, of this letter already. I, I, I wish I, I had time uh, just to read and share with you guys just the ways that God is literally taking whole lives and reorienting, the, reorienting them and according to God's word just through what James has been teaching us inspired by the Spirit. Uh, so just want to encourage you in that way. And uh, this morning, as we're in James chapter 2, um, James's whole concern, I'm going to say this from the beginning, is he just doesn't want to see people just make decisions for Jesus Christ. He wants people to be changed by Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us just to be a people who uh, somehow kind of admire Jesus from a distance but experience Jesus in the ways that we walk. We don't want to just be people who follow rules of faith, uh, which maybe some of you guys are going, man, I've never seen any transformation in my life because you've just been a rule follower and haven't been stunned by the creator of faith. So uh, James is going to show us that, man, until you see this vision of beauty, until you get this glorious Lord Jesus Christ that you grab hold of, uh, rule following and this to-do list that will follow in James is meaningless. Uh, but if you see that it's birth from beauty, you see moral action is not produced but really worship, which leads to joy and not begrudging submission. And so uh, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us a hard word, a loving word, an honest word. And I will say, uh, based upon even today, um, a really sobering word. Uh, so let's go into James chapter 2, verse 1, which you heard Mike read. We're going to start here. Here's what James writes. My brothers, so he's talking about to the Christian, okay, brothers and sisters, people who are loved by God. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, 
I told you last week, I'm going to keep pulling you back to verse 18 of chapter 1. You, you have to let James chapter 1, verse 18 be your diving board, okay? So if you're going to read the book of James, you need the well by which all of the rest of James follows from. Verse 18, he says, you were made a first fruits of his creation. You were brought forth by the word of truth, by this good father who's a father of heavenly lights. There's no shifting or change in him. So he's reminding you again of you being made new. You're a new creation. You've been brought forth forth by the word of truth. Now, live as you are. Okay, live like the very man and woman you are made new in this way. And so he's showing us over and over and over that we must stem and start in that place. And I said, if you've had a good father, some of you guys have grown up with awful fathers, but if you have a good father, you know that every time he gives a warning, it's invitation. Every time he warns you of something, it's to call you into life in a place where you don't have life. He wants you to be safe. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to truly have a life that is best for you. And so God is the perfect father, unlike any earthly father can, images that perfectly to us and instructs us perfectly in that way. And so this is what James is reminding you of out of the gate in verse 1 of chapter 2. He's reminding you right away of the roots of not showing partiality. You're holding fast to this faith of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that, that's, that's the reason why partiality shouldn't be in your life. That's why favoritism, that's why being a, a respecter of persons, being discriminatory, being racist, being any of those things should not mark you as a child of God because you hold fast to this one and only glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, this is all identity here, by the way. This is all worth here. Um, th th that's what James is getting at. He's saying um, what you give adoration to, what you give glory to, what you give worth to, because glory is the weight and worth and majesty of God. We've talked about this a lot if you've been coming for any length of time. So he's saying here basically that, that when the church begins to treat people differently, when you start to show admiration to, love to other people based on the umbrella is everything, socioeconomic status, race, tribe, tongue, wealth, poverty, um, um, how they, what they do in their job, whatever that is, he's showing you that you're finding glory, you're finding value in something outside of the thing that's most glorious and should only be valued on a pedestal. And that's Jesus, that's this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He's showing this, this, this kind of thing here. Augustine, one of our church fathers, rightly said, I've said it before, that once the issue of glory is settled, all other issues are settled. That's what James is doing. Um, he says all conflicts are glory conflicts. All issues are glory issues. So James says, remember, you're a first fruits of the Lord of glory. Like if there's anything you should boast in, if there's anything you should find your fullest identity in, it's that you're his chosen kid. It's that the Lord of glory adopted you, made you his own when you weren't following him, when you weren't pursuing him. He initiated in his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his kindness. This is all back to verse 18. He's the one who brought you forth as a first fruit out of his word of truth. So he's going, man, if that's who you are, he says, you of all people should understand that there is God and then there's people. There's not statuses. There's not changes. There's God, he's the one who belongs on the pedestal. He's the one who gets glory. He's the one who gets worship. And then there's just, there's us. People, humans, finite puny brains. God infinite in all that he did. The creator, we're the created. So he says, if this is true, then there should be a posture in you that doesn't play favorites. There's a posture in you that shouldn't be discriminatory. Um, there's a posture in you that there shouldn't be distinctions among you. There shouldn't be preferential treatment. Now listen, um, no one escapes this. 
No one in this room, including myself, can say, ain't me. Man, James is going to drive at this gospel issue in a really, really good, helpful way. Um, that word is really just a respecter of persons. Um, let, me, let me ask you, I mean, imagine this for a minute. You're, you're sitting in your usual seat, right? Showed up to church at Bergen, normal Sunday, a little rainy. You come in, and you're sitting, and, and, and you're getting ready for the service, or even during the service. Now, it can be different for you, but, I mean, just imagine the person that you're just like, oh, okay? You just, for some of you men, might be Derek Jeter, okay? So, like, Derek Jeter walks in and sits next to you right now, okay? You distracted? You bet you are. Don't be like, oh, no, Pastor Mike, I, I would listen to you. No, no, you'd be so distracted. Sign my Bible. You'd be, you would be just going loony. You'd be a nut. You would be just wanting. And then let's say on the other side of you, Eli Manning walks in and sits on the other side of you. You distracted? You, you ladies, I don't know, maybe it's Oprah. I don't care. You, you all love Oprah. All women I've ever met, Christian and non, love Oprah. That's why I always go after Oprah up here. So, so you guys love her. She comes in and sits down next to you in the service. Seriously, think about this. You distracted? You bet you are. You paying a lick of attention to what's going on in the, in the sermon? Now let's just say God in some way allowed us in the middle of all that to see his glory. Like just, just... I mean, the Bible's clear, right? I mean, we would, we would die in his presence. He lives, dwells in unapproachable light. Let's say right now, in some way, he somehow allowed us to just get a glimpse of his weight and majesty right here on the stage. You know, you would not care at all about Derek Jeter or Eli Manning or Oprah or whoever your person is that you're a respecter of. You wouldn't care at all about who they were because you would be so caught up in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this, is, what's, this is what he's saying. This is what he's getting at. Like, there's, there's glory that so surpasses humanity. Like, there, there's this one glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And if your weight, worth, and identity, and, and adoration, and affirmation is there, that, that's a good place to be because then you're not going to be tempted. You're going to be presented and restricted from finding silly glory in people. The silliness of looking for superiority in class or race. That's what he's saying. It's all rooted in this amazing God and a God who doesn't play favorites with his kids but images that we're all equally loved, equally accepted, equally forgiven. And here's what he says in verse 2. He's going to give an illustration now for us, right? So in case we didn't get it still, now he's going to help us by illustrating it. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, Oh, you sit here in a good place, while to say to the poor man, Oh, you stand over there, or uh, sit down at my feet. Feet were disgusting in this day. He says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and... Become judges with evil thoughts. <laughs> okay, so James gives an illustration. In their church service, right, just like ours, there's a wealthy man that walks in. You can just tell he's wealthy. The rings were a sign of wealth back in the day, so he's wearing a ton of rings. He walks in, and people are just, like, separating for him. Hey, you sit here. Hey, why don't you, the ushers, bring him right up to the front. We got a, a seat for you. You can take your crown off, put it next to you. We want to treat you need some coffee. Here's where the restrooms are. You're naturally drawn to them. And then a poor man walks in. And you say, oh, we, we don't want to really cause a ruckus. Can you sit in the back? Uh, could you just stay back there? You, you kind of smell. We don't want you near their people. He says, 
have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? He's basically saying, okay, when we take all that we do at sporting events and concerts that we think is okay and bring it into the church life, it's, it's evil. Oh, how much did you pay? Hey, what's your status? Oh, you get the best seats. You get the best treatment. He says in the church life, right, that should be totally different. It should be totally the other way around. He says when you're doing that, you're acting like God, and you're not God who alone sees their heart. He judges based on internal realities, not outward appearances, right? So, so now you're, you're taking the role of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and you're trying to judge other people based upon how you think they should be given treatment, and you're forgetting that you don't see the inward realities of their heart. And you judge them based on their outward appearance. James is specifically talking about discrimination. Um, don't choose who and who you won't give admiration to, love to, time to, attention to, solely based on external realities. Forget the finances here. That's just an illustration. This umbrella is over everything. This umbrella is covering a lot of issues. And now some of you guys are going, man, but Pastor Mike, this, this is natural. Right? I mean, naturally, listen, um, the people that you usually sit around or the seat that you want, the service made, some of you guys are crazy with your seat. I'm just going just gonna to say it. I mean, I've seen some of you. Someone sits in your seat, and you've literally said, that's my seat. Like, I sit there. What are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? I mean, seriously, you think that's your seat? And it, it's scary. And I'm, I'm just, I'm letting you know, I've seen, I mean, the posture of your, of your faces, the disdain. I'm going, seriously? And, and he's showing us here something serious. You're a new creation brought forth by the word of truth. And he says, yeah, you're saying that's natural. He wants to see something supernatural in you. You got the Holy Spirit now. You don't operate like the world anymore. You got a new mind. You got a new heart. So you start, the lens by which you see the world is so different now. Your, your mind is actually starting to be conformed to this glorious Lord Jesus Christ, right? We actually are becoming more from one shade of the glory to the next like this Jesus Christ. That's what James is getting after here, that we should see progress, not perfection, but there should be progress in our Christian life. There should be some sort of evidence of, man, there, there's, there's realities in me that aren't just, I know a lot of theology in my head, but I'm walking in this practice. It's not just I know rules of faith. I've been stunned by this creator of faith that has transformed me to all of a sudden live and operate in the ways that God has asked me to because it's overflowing from my heart. It's not something I'm trying to do, but it's something through reading his word and sitting under his teaching and getting around with saints and hearing godly instruction and being filled with his spirit that I'm now walking in the ways of his spirit. It's very, very different. And all of a sudden, the, the world goes, wow, that, that's otherworldly. Yeah, everybody's used to kind of like being in their own cliques. And listen, we all, we all lean into those things naturally. If you're artsy, you want to be around those people. Musically, you want to be around those people. There's nothing wrong with those things. But it's wrong when you judge people solely on those things, and those are the only people you'll associate with. That's a dangerous place. We're a new creation brought forth by the word of truth. So James says, when you don't live... Like this, we grieve the heart of God and demonstrate we don't fundamentally understand the gospel. Christians, see, the Christian message flips culture on its head. When, when, when culture says, man, um, you're awesome, dig in your inner self and find your you know, true self that'll, that'll help you accomplish and, and overcome the world, the Christian says, no, we're not awesome. There's only one who's awesome. Uh, there's only one who gets glory. There's only one who deserves praise and adoration and worship. 
And then when we do that, when we start living this way, the Christian finds freedom, finds wholeness. He grows the more he gets his eyes off of himself and more into this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's what James is showing us. You know, I used to hear people say um, a lot when they meet like a famous person, um, you know, I met so-and-so, I couldn't believe it. I used to always think, that's so dumb. Like, there's just a person, right? I was so arrogant in that. I would just, I just, I'd always hear it. I met so-and-so, this person, and then... (laughs) And then I, when I was in my first year of ministry, um, the church I was at was outside Washington, D.C., uh, before we moved here to plant this church. And, and there was a national prayer breakfast, which many of you are familiar with. And I got asked to actually serve as like an usher of the prayer breakfast. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Like I get to, you know, be a part of something on the hill that's, you know, I don't know, happening, I guess. I, I'd never been there before. So I went, and, and I had to wear just like a nice tux. And I know you can't imagine that. Some of you guys are like, you in a tux? I mean, that's, that's otherworldly. It is. And so I have my tux on, and I'm, I'm ushering, and a, a elderly Hispanic family uh, approached me. And I had the grid for all the seats where all the seats were. And they asked me, hey, we, we were having trouble finding our seats. We can't find our seats. And I'm like, okay, let me help you. And then they couldn't even see my page. I was getting really, I was getting really frustrated. I was, I was 25. I was sinful. I, was, I didn't have the mind of Christ fully formed in me. You know, I was a, a believer, but I was really short-fused. And I'm just sitting there going, man, I, I can't believe they can't find this. So I'm trying to help them. I'm looking out over everything. And, and people keep tapping me on the shoulder like wanting something from me. Uh, and I'm just kind of like, stop. You know, like, I'm just kind of going like this. And, and a hand grabs my left shoulder. And I turn around and I'm like, dude, just a minute. And I look, and it's Jim Caviezel. Now, now he was Jesus in The Passion, okay? If you don't know who Jim Caviezel is. And I turn around I'm like, it's Jesus. I mean, I literally, <laughs> literally, I mean, I just, that's how I was feeling, thinking. And I just leave this elderly Hispanic family, and I'm like, what, what do you need? My back is to them totally. He's like, I can't find my seat. I said, man, let me help you find your seat. Where's your seat? Like Jim Caviezel's asking me hey, where his seat is. So he shows me where his seat is. I go, let me take you. Totally shut down. The, this is awful. Totally shut down the elderly Hispanic family. I, I grab Jim, and we're walking through the crowd. I'm just wanting everyone to see me, man. I'm with Jesus. You see, everybody, everybody. I'm with Jim Caviezel, passion of the Christ. So we're walking. We're walking down, and I finally find his seat. I sit him down like, do you need anything? My name is Mike Reed. I'm a, I'm a, this is where I'm a pastor. This is, and, and it's, just, it's just sick. It's sick. And I come back, and here's what is so sobering. My buddy, who pretty much discipled me growing up, um, saw the whole thing, whole thing, and wanders over to me, and he says, uh, he goes, and I'm about to tell him. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I know. I know. You're with Jim Caviezel. I know. I saw you. You walked him down to the seat. He said to me something I've never forgotten. He said, Mike, he said, the gospel's not fully formed in you. And my defensiveness, I'm going, seriously? What are you, what are you talking about? He said, you totally showed partiality. Like, I was watching you help that elderly Hispanic family, and the second you saw someone, you just started giving admiration to him and favoritism to him. And you totally neglect them. I don't know if you know, I had to come along and help the family who you left find their seat because you totally ignored them because you wanted to show favoritism to this other man that you were a respecter of persons of. And the text that God later led me to is in Galatians 4 where Paul is praying and he's just begging God. With, he says he's having the pains of childbirth that the gospel would be fully formed in you. 
And it's literally over time that going back to that comment from my good, godly, faithful friend that, that showed me there's this, there's this area in us that, that God wants to fully form in us, and most of us, including myself, are not there. So if you're a Christian going, man, I want this gospel fully formed in me. Yeah, I want every ounce of Jesus. I want to know how he thinks, know how he feels, know how to walk. Man, I'm telling you, this is an area where the gospel is not fully formed in us. And this is why James is is getting at this because he knows it's a prevailing issue. He knows the sin sickness of our hearts. He knows the prejudices that lie underneath in areas where we don't even believe they're there. And, And I was just awakened to the reality of that. Because here's the problem. They're behaving more like culture and less like Christ. That's his problem with this church in the, in the church in Jerusalem that he's pastoring and writing to. You're behaving more like culture and less like Christ. Their problem is partiality. Now be careful. Don't get caught up on the finances here because the problem is partiality and the issue is not treating people equally because here's the issue here's the problem here's the challenge we take this we take this text and go okay well then the poor alone should get best treatment and rich should be thrown at the bend well no no now you're just changing partiality Um, you got to be careful you don't just switch partiality you got to be careful you don't just elevate someone else so the the thing is equal here so even in reading this we can think okay so the poor should be up front the women should be up front the men should be up front the young should be up front just take it in our church service and just swap it around whatever area where you're like no they need more treatment they need more treatment no you're you're really doing the very thing that he's arguing against he's talking about not showing partiality anywhere he's talking about equality the way that the Father God loves his children, the way the Father God grafts us into the kingdom on no condition. This is powerful stuff. But he's saying treat everyone fairly, justly, rightly. How many of us wish our category got better treatment, if we're honest, even in this church? Underneath all that, I wish the men got more. I wish the women got more. I wish the young got more. I wish the whites got more. I wish the non-whites got more. I wish. Where is that in us? Because this leads to our classism, racism, nationalism, tribalism. Has he not hit a gospel issue? Has he not started to chip away at us? And listen, if there is any one of us in this room, and I want to specifically talk to the white brothers and sisters If we're in this room and you're sitting here going, well, I'm not a racist, I'm not discriminatory, I'm not partial, you've just revealed how dark your heart really is. You've just exposed the very thing that James is writing us for. That's why he's saying this, because it resides in all of us, because there are prejudiced tendencies in all of us. Listen. You will always feel entitled until you realize you're the problem. Always. Especially in church life. This is what James is getting after. There's one glorious Lord. It ain't you. And there's one glorious God. There's one who gets adoration. There's one who's superior. And it's not you. And the second you forget that you're not him, and you start feeling superior and feeling like you deserve this and you deserve that, man, I'm telling you, 
you will never see movement and maturity like you desire and God desires to see until you are finally able to, in total humility, lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I realize I'm the problem. I realize I'm just really entitled. Otherwise, we'll see no change at all. And he says when you show partiality, that's what you're doing. You're stepping out from under his saving grace, and you're becoming a mini-God, and now you're judging others with evil thoughts. All right, so now you're taking the role of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and you're now judging everybody else and saying, well, no, no, we should be superior. We should be superior. We should have more favor. Or that person doesn't deserve to be here. Look at the way he's dressed. Or it's silliness. And James is just going after this. He says, you're not saved by your awesomeness. There's one Lord of glory that isn't you and me. So what happens is we demand that someone meets the criteria of our superiority, and that is anti-gospel. That's what we're doing. You're actually demanding that someone else meet your criteria of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be superior, what it means to be, I don't know. And that's anti-gospel because that's not how God works. That's not how you were saved. That's not how you were brought into the kingdom. Look at what he says in verse 5. Listen. See, he wants to get their attention. Listen, my beloved brothers, but has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James just reveals the irony of their partiality. He's going, man, you so want to be accepted, so want to be welcomed by the world that the people that you snuggle up against are the very people who mock you and mock me, the same people that belittle you and belittle me. The the rich were oppressing and mitigating and taking advantage of the poor because they couldn't legally defend themselves. And he's saying the church is being so bent on being accepted and, and and this that you'd actually favor the very people that oppress you. Now, him saying here that this, this idea that the church being so bent on being accepted that they would get romantic with their abuser is an indictment on the church today. <laughs> I mean, is it not? I mean, because we so often, the goal we think is to make Jesus look cool. Listen, the goal is not to make Jesus look cool. Listen, you don't, he doesn't need help. And the second you try to make him look cool, he's not Jesus Christ anymore. Okay, we need the real, raw, true, in the scriptures, who is Jesus Christ. I mean, bloodshed, wrought with wrath, from God the Father, for us, in our place, causes us to walk new, wants to strip us of our sin-stained, disgusting souls so we can live with joy, with hope, with fullness of life. You, You don't change that. You don't alter that. I mean, he has justice. He has mercy. He has love. He has wrath. He is good. He is kind and he is absolutely ferocious for his own name. He is everything. You can't pit attributes against attributes. You have to have the whole thing all the way together. He is perfectly all of his attributes that he exists in. And if you don't have that God, if you don't have that Jesus, you're never going to walk rightly, not going to see life correctly, not going to have the joy that God desires of you. So James is trying to show you you're trying to be God and manipulate him and change him and alter him into ways that he was never and can never be altered. What God are you worshiping? And it's demonstrated by your partiality. What God are you worshiping? It's demonstrated by your hearing and doing. What God are you worshiping? It's demonstrated by you loving the vulnerable. What, are you, what God are you worshiping? It's demonstrated by the ways that you view and judge others. So the level of hypocrisy 
in darkness that occurs when you're discriminatory or partial or racist or you don't like to get around people who aren't your economic status. Um, you're actually working against the heart of God. Like you're actually going against his longings. You're going against his desires. The one who said, uh, you rebelled, you were a mess, and I stepped into your mess. I didn't avoid you. I didn't put you at bay. I didn't tell you to sit in the back. We came down front. He said, let me love you. Let me show you mercy. Let me forgive you. Let me clothe you as my son and my daughter. And then let me equally love and care for all of you as my children, a God who doesn't play favorites. Based on tribe, race, tongue, economic status, whether you wear a suit, whether you wear jeans when you come to church, sandals or shoes. Yeah, I, I love you based upon my covenant, based upon my son that was slain for you. That's why he demonstrates and shows and goes after us in that love. It's powerful. I mean, don't you just for one day, guys, I was thinking about this this week, don't you just for one day want to see people the way God sees them? I was even thinking about my own just underlying prejudices. That they just, they just, I don't even, every so often God will graciously reveal them. Like, like do you, don't you just want to see the world, the church, as God looks from God's perspective, as he looks in this room? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't see any race. He doesn't see status. He doesn't see wealthy or poor. He doesn't see Hispanic or Asian. He doesn't see black or white. He, he just sees, okay, man, there's someone who's just after my heart. There's someone who loves prayer and loves talking to me. Man, there, there's someone who loves to be generous and loves the outsider and loves the vulnerable. Man, there's somebody. That, that's how he sees it. He sees the heart. He sees the affections. He, he sees the heart that's turned towards his name and who's not. That, that's how he sees it. He does not see it based upon outward status and awareness and what you look like. That's how God sees us, and that's how God wants us to see others. So what's the solution? Verse 8. He says, but if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. He goes, okay, so, so even if you start doing this, you're doing good. Start to grow in your non-partial ways. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James, listen, everything has to be taken in the full context. James has not left his argument. He's continuing it from last week going, hey, um, be a doer. Don't just be a hearer. You want to know what pleases the heart of God? Being a doer of the word. Not doer of the word apart from the vision of beauty that you have in being called his son and daughter. Not just rule following and legislation. He's talking about, man, you're welling up with love from a God who did not show you partiality and brought you into the kingdom so that the way that you love others and show love to others is otherworldly. That's where it's all stemming from. And then he says, you're, you're lining yourself up with how God designed things to work. The royal law of scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. This all goes all the way back where Jesus is talking to the self-righteous people going, no, no, you want to love God first and then you want to love others. If you don't love God first, you can't love others rightly. So if you're not holding fast to this faith in one glorious Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you will not know how to walk and live in a non-partial way. In the truest sense, the world can only get so far but we can go to the farthest place because we've been shown it in the deepest part of our souls. 
We've been transformed by it. We've been broken from its chains, not to go back to it, but to walk in further freedom in it. And then he just calls out their hypocrisy and our ways of hypocrisy for justifying our sin of partiality. I didn't kill anybody, right? I didn't commit adultery. You know what James says? Uh, so what? You show impartiality, broke the law. We love to weigh sins. Yes, some have more severe consequences. Yes, some grieve the heart of God in unique ways. But he's saying a sin breaks the law. One sin breaks the law. God is holy. He is glorious. And it ain't you. And, and you're thinking because you haven't done those things, you can show partiality. You can be racist. You can be discriminatory. And somehow you're off the hook. He's saying you, you've done this. So this means even if we've subconsciously believed whiteness is superior, accidentally or not, we've broken the law. And we are rightly judged by that. Even if in our ignorance, brothers and sisters. And I'm just starting there because that's who I am by demographic. And then you guys can filter it down, Hispanic, Asian, black. But the first step is begging God to reveal this. Begging God to reveal how serious it is that it's an indictment on the Imago Dei. Made in the image of God. I mean, this is so weighty for James. It should be so weighty for us because James is basically saying, you sinned against God and those made in his image. He's saying, you're living as if you don't know who God really is. You can go back to Genesis 1. If you're new to your Bible, out of the gate, God doesn't get very far in revealing that he makes male and female in his image he made them. It's the doctrine of the Imago Dei, that we are of infinite value and worth because we're made in the image and likeness of our creator God. And, and here you have, you see from Genesis 1 that, so men and women, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, born and unborn, healthy, disabled, equal in dignity, value, and worth, made in the image and likeness of God. Listen, we don't have that because we feel like we should have that. You and I have that because it was assigned to you. God, the glorious Lord, said, he, he assigned it to you and said, man, you're going to bear my image. Your worth, your identity is not found in these other things. That's why the fundamental sin of the universe is worshiping the wrong thing, is finding glory, finding satisfaction, finding wantings in something outside of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Every issue is a glory issue, and until you realize that you are made in the image and likeness of him, and you were made to worship him, and that People are made in his image and likeness. We will not ever find freedom in this area. And here James is showing something amazing. God's assigned it to us. If you keep reading your Bible, one of the most commonly condemned sins is marginalization of the poor and the outcast. If you read the Bible, it's Jesus who befriended women. It's Jesus who had a godly ministry team of women with him. It's Jesus who was, it was scandalous for a religious teacher to teach women, and he loved teaching women. So, so listen, um, you want to find a place that actually defends this. It's the scriptures, a place that longs to see dignity, value, and worth in God's humanity. It's the women who found him at the tomb in his resurrection. Go to the nations where the gospel has not spread and see if women are treated equal under the law. They're not. 
and it breaks God's heart. And James is reminding us also here, guys, so don't miss this other piece. While we're all equal in our humanity, we're equal in our depravity. So he, he just read it, okay? I, there's the text, right? He, he's showing you, yes, you're, you're equal in your dignity, value, and worth. Don't show partiality, but you're also equal in your depravity. I mean, all of us have this bent. All of us have these longings. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's even showing, even if you love your neighbor as yourself, good job, yet continue to fail in one other place or another. He's showing this equality of depravity, the equality of salvation is always going to get into this. Yet when you're saved by God, you're also equally loved, forgiven, and rescued. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, let me do just quick work before I dive into the explicit ending of this text. Um, Some of us in this room probably... Okay, and you might not be a Christian, you might label yourself as atheist, you might label yourself as agnostic, you might label yourself as, I don't know, religious, spiritual, whatever you want. Listen, I, I have to ask you as you read this, I, I would bet 99% of, of everyone in the room is going, yeah, I, I, I'm with you so far, right? But yeah, I, equal in dignity, value, and worth, oppression and racism, discriminatory natures, yeah, that should be banished. Yeah, I'm for that, right? I would argue that, that, that so far, we're all in agreement there. My question is, where is your moral foundation for agreeing with me? Because if you're in this room and you believe in pure evolutionary theory, survival of the fittest, the strong ultimately keep on and suppress the weak. You have no basis for your agreement morally. If, if you believe in karma, right, eventually, man, the, the bad just get it again. You don't have a basis morally for your agreeing with me. You might be someone in this room who's really self-righteous, right? Well, it's, it's man, I'm better than everybody else. Yeah, it's about being religious and growing in your intellect and just doing more deeds and good works than everybody else. And somehow at the end of the day, God might judge me on my works and somehow might accept me. You still don't have a basis for agreeing with me then. Because the good news that James is showing us is in every other system, you get what you earn. But in Christianity, you get what Jesus earned for you. He's the only one in human history that showed no partiality. He's the only one in human history. If nothing else hits you, here's what James is doing. He's closing this section going, while you're busy judging everybody else, you're forgetting that you're going to be judged, and when you stand before God one day, how are you going to want to be judged? On your works? On how much mercy you showed others? How are you going to want to be judged? Are you going to be judged by... If you've shown favoritism or not, no matter who's in this room, we're all going to need mercy. All of us, when we stand before God, this, this law of liberty that frees us, right? I mean, there's some aspects I don't know if submitted to and followed, some aspects I, I haven't. He's, he's showing here this, this reality that we're all going to be judged for our inability to uphold this law of liberty, our inability to give this Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, all of his adoration and praise that he rightly deserved out of the gate. And listen, you know what none of us are going to want on the day of judgment? 
You know what? No one in this room is going to stand before God and want when they stand before this holy, glorious Lord. No one is going to want partiality. None of us are going to want God to to love us and welcome us and accept us based upon our status, our race, our tribe, how good we were, how good we weren't, where we failed, where we didn't fail, how we treated other people, you know, what we look like, what we wore to church. None of us are going to want that. Praise God, mercy triumphs judgment. That he's a God that looks at those in the, the fray, those who are outcasts, those who get pushed. That's, that's all of us, by the way. All of us are the one with shabby clothes trying to enter his presence. Going, I don't know, am I worthy to sit here? Am I worthy to take part in this? And a God who says, hey, come sit in the front. I'm gonna love you, save you, rescue you, change you. That's scandalous. That's impartial. It's not, it, has, it has zero condition on you. His saving work, his sovereign saving grace has nothing to do with you looking prettier or more wanted. He doesn't look down and go, man, well, they're doing pretty good, or they, they might like me, or they might be a good vessel. You ever heard that? And I know it's, it's meant well. Man, if they, God would just save them, and they'd be a powerhouse for the kingdom. Okay, yeah, but God doesn't need powerhouses for the kingdom. Like, he is the powerhouse of the kingdom. Right? I, I, so, so listen, I mean, he, he, he's going to save people. He's going to use you despite you, but it's not because you're awesome. It's always getting back to verse 1 that he is the God, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, where we worship, we adore, we love, we savor, and he's awesome. Pastors are okay. Good theologians are okay. Jonathan Edwards is okay. All right? But God is the one who we give all of our affections for. And until we listen to verse 1, until we believe verse 18 of chapter 1, we will never see any of these things as understandable. And he ends it, right? You can clap for that. I mean, God is good. God is gracious. He's been gracious to you. He's not been partial to you. I mean, that's why us sitting in these seats love him so much. I mean, that's, a, that's the foundation of our salvation as Christians, man, that he did not save me because somehow there was something in me that he wanted outside of him just saying, I'm going to be kind and merciful and gracious, that, that no one can boast in anything. You can't ever boast in your race. You can never boast in superiority in every particle in you outside of him. And that's the beauty that we say, hallelujah, what a savior, that he would save me. And I love that he shows us this, that the gospel is the most non-partial message in human history, that you can come to him regardless of race, of sin, of wealth, of intellectual capacity. It actually qualifies you. Do you know that? Well, you got more stuff, uh, it qualifies you even more. You smell worse, oh, that's good. That qualifies you. You look really shabby, that, that qualifies you. Come sit in the front. Let the king of kings love you and forgive you and wrap you in his robe of righteousness that he earns for you and you do not earn for yourself. Mercy absolutely triumphs over judgment and God continues to show mercy when he should give us judgment. He continues to show mercy. He continues to show affection and love. A God who doesn't show favoritism. It's Lord of glory. And Jesus did this, right? He emptied himself. Philippians 2 comes. Everybody says, hey, get in the back. We'll spit on you. We'll mock you. You're not God. Caesar's God. You're not the Lord of glory. We want to be God. We want to be glorious. And Jesus, a servant, perfectly fulfills the law for us, never arrogantly taking his throne until the rightful time. 
and goes to the cross in our place for our sin and saves us. And Jesus never had to say, guys, man, I got this really one bad area in me. I just can't seem to kill and put to death. He keeps giving mercy. It's only in the gospel, brothers and sisters and friends, that we realize we are the outcast. We are the issue. We are all the marginalized. We are the sinner, and yet our king extends mercy when we deserve judgment. So here's my prayer. My prayer has always been, and it's been heightened since reading this text again. Uh, my, My prayer is that we would be a people in a place that's a breath of fresh air. The world walks in and goes, man, that, that's otherworldly. Why are rich sitting next to poor, black next to white, Hispanic next to Asian, people gathering in homes together that should never gather in homes, that they are young and old? What, why? Because there's something else that's transformed us, a, a Lord of glory. There's somewhere else we find glory. There's somewhere else we find treasure. There's somewhere else we find superiority. It's him. And so listen, I just want you to know, because I've, I've talked to many of you, if you're in this room this morning and you feel a bit out of place because the way you look or what you're wearing or your race or your economic status, we love you. You help us by your presence become more like Jesus Christ. Please, please know that. That's from myself, from the elders, from other fellow saints. That, that this is this is we're so grateful. Man, you want to wear a suit to church? Praise God. You want to wear jeans and flip flops? Praise God. We want to see rich sit next to poor, white next to black, the intellectual next to, next to the not so highly educated, the single next to the married. We want to see the mingling of our souls together for the glory of God that's gonna help us be a brighter display of another world and another kingdom, another God that is far more glorious than us. I remember when we were in the hotel, uh, some of you guys, many of you guys were never in the hotel. Uh, That's before we moved here, after we moved out of a house. And uh, there was an older couple that's now moved to to, uh, Florida and they would always sit in the front row. And uh, I remember hearing someone one day say to them, you know, hey, this is the, this road's, Rose for the younger. And uh, one of them said, don't be a moron. This isn't for the, the younger. They want to sit there. They're older. That's fine. So I got to ask them. I said, guys, listen, no judgment, but I love seeing you in the front. I'm just wondering, why are you in the front? Music's pretty loud. You know, like I just wouldn't pick you to be. And they said, man, we just love seeing young people worship. And I said, man, that's such a, a, a beautiful longing for all of us to actually want to see those who are not like us worship our glorious Lord and to find this unity in that, this profound synergy in that. There's something powerful in God's church about that. Let's end with this. Let's circle back because you have to end with verse 1. Here's the issue. Go to verse, verse 1 on the screen. The whole issue is who's your Lord of glory? That's the issue of partiality. That's the issue of our sin. Um, What he's talking about here is the glory of Jesus Christ, and this means his glory alone is the glory that matters, which means that you and I shouldn't be particularly concerned about our glory. So we should never be arguing that people like us get more glory. 
So we shouldn't be a church that argues, I'm arguing for the rich. I'm arguing for the poor. I'm arguing for the young. I'm arguing for the white. I'm arguing for the non-white. I'm arguing for the rural. I'm arguing for the, the financial workers. I'm argu- no, no. We argue for him. We argue for a Lord of glory. We long to see him and know him and be held by him and behold his name. And James says that's the wrong place for the glory. When everybody else is saying, hey, give me the glory, put me up front, exalt me, bring people like me around me because we're more valuable or we know what's best. Jesus is the only one who deserves glory. And when he's given the glory, there's no partiality. Let's ask God for help. Father, your Holy Spirit needs to, needs to fall right now. Your Holy Spirit needs to do something in our hearts that we could not possibly do on our own. Father, I just pray that you would give brothers and sisters and saints a moment right now to be able to honestly assess their hearts. Father, protect us from thinking of someone else in this moment. <laughs> Drive our hearts to us. This is, this is an us issue. You're looking at us. You're not talking to someone else for us. God, would we assess, Mike Reed and Jesus Christ assess, the areas where there has been partiality, where there has been anti-gospel flavor, where there has been superiority feelings of any kind in any way. God, would you help us in those spaces? God, would, if, if that's being revealed, would we see the ways that we've done that and then also see the ways that you did not do that to us in ways that mercy triumphed judgment, that you did not show partiality when you saved us? God, would that minister deeply? Would that transform us profoundly? Would we be changed by a vision of beauty and not just trying to become less partial? Would you make us a people that dignity, value, and worth is solely found in the God who made us and in the God who saved us? And would you help us to walk as brothers and sisters, totally diverse, yet totally equal and seen as one in Jesus Christ? I pray you'd build up the church, not just the church here at Church of Bergen, the church in the United States, the church across the world, that that we know that Revelation says we will one day see this in its fullness. Every tribe, tongue, race together saying, glory are you, holy are you. God, reveal to us where we are placing glory and finding glory outside of you. Would you be our Lord of glory to help us not be partial people? Would you help us not to play favorites? Would you help us to love one another deeply and confront lovingly and walk alongside courageously for the glory of your name? We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.